Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. We've been looking here as our text, verse 8 through verse number 11, and we've been looking at, over these last couple weeks, the counterintuitive living that Christ Jesus has called us to. Some of these things that He tells us to trust Him in, where where worldly wisdom doesn't really fit. From our own logic, from our own thinking, we wouldn't work it out this way. Uh, But our Lord tells us here in this passage, His ways are not our ways. And His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we are, as He says in verse number 11, we are to trust Him. Knowing that what he says will come to pass, will come to pass. So if he says do it this way, do it that way. Even though it don't make sense to our wisdom, even though it doesn't make sense to this world, do it the way God says to do it. Because he promises his word will not return unto him void. He will do what he says he will do. Notice verse, verse number 8 here. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God says, do it my way. My word will not return unto me void. Trust me, my word will not return unto me void. Do it the way I tell you to do it. Even though, again, it's counterintuitive to our thinking. It's counterintuitive to worldly wisdom. It's the opposite of what we would consider the way to work those things out. God says, trust me. Do it my way. Do it my way. We're just looking at a few of these. In fact, I've just got four that we've been looking at, and, and we looked at two of them last week. And I'm going to try to get to the other two today. Uh, one of them kind of long uh, in, the, in my, my description of it. So I don't know if we'll get through all of it or not. When we looked last week, one of the first ones that we, we considered is, is what he tells us in Mark chapter 10 concerning being great in the kingdom. That James and John arguing back and forth which one, or, or that they were, at least I shouldn't say they were arguing back and forth, they were arguing together against the rest of them, that they should be the ones seated on the right hand and on the left hand of the Lord. When you come into your kingdom, Lord, we just want to know, be alright if we sit on your right hand and on your left hand, and we be on your, on your side as those, in those exalted positions. And the Lord says, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. He goes on to tell them there that in order to be first in the kingdom, you must be last. If you're going to lead, he says, you need to serve. And so he begins with that one. That's the one we we looked at last week concerning the fact that we are, if we are, if we exalt ourselves, then we're going to be humbled. 
But if we humble ourselves, God will exalt us in due time. And so we have to trust Him. Not trying to advance ourselves in His kingdom, but trusting Him to do, to serve, that we're not concerned with where we're going to be at in rulership or where what kingdoms we're going to be ruling over. That we're not concerned with that. That we're simply concerned in this life with serving our Lord and being faithful to Him. The second one that we looked at last week is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is strength in weakness. And Paul declared that there he had that thorn in the flesh that was given him a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him, he said. And he prayed three times that God would take that thorn from him. And the Lord gave him his answer. And the answer was, no. I'm not going to take it from you, Paul. In fact, he said, I'm going to leave it with you. Because in your weakness, he tells him, my strength is displayed. My grace, he goes on to say, my grace is sufficient for thee. All you need to know, Paul, is I'm the one holding you. All you need to know, Paul, is I'm the one carrying you along. You're going to continue with this thorn. You're going to continue with this problem that is in you. And I'm going to leave it with you because in your weakness, I'm going to shine forth my strength. And it changed Paul's whole perspective about this thorn because it was a thorn of the fl- thorn in the flesh sent from Satan to buffet him, a messenger Satan sent to buffet him. And after he got the answer from the Lord, now he says, "I'm going to glory in my infirmities. I'm going to glory in these problems that come in my life because I know that in those problems, God is working in me. He's working through me, and so that in that weakness that I feel, Christ Jesus is going to shine in that." And that's not usually how we're thinking, is it? That's not usually what's going through our minds when we're facing the particular trial, the particular struggle, the particular sickness that we might be going through. And so we looked at those two lastly. To begin with today, and we've studied just on this just a little bit here lately concerning this doctrine of forgiveness that God has called us to. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And look with me at verse number 43 and verse number 45. 43 through 45, I should say. I can't count today. 43 through 45. There's 44 in the middle there. We're going to read it too. Okay. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 45. He says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor... And hate thine enemy. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 43. This is, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Lord's, in fact, a lot of these counterintuitives that we see we, we, in, in the Lord's teaching come from right here in this Sermon on the Mount. He does a lot of those showing his position against the tradition of the Jews and what they had turned the law into. You have heard it said, but I say, Unto you, he says. And so he shows himself here in this this Sermon on the Mount. He shows himself here as the lawgiver. 
And what does that mean if he's the lawgiver? That means he is God. This is what he is declaring to them in this Sermon on the Mount. He is declaring his deity as he preaches this message before them. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. And so he says, you have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Do good to them that despitefully use love your enemies, he said. That's counterintuitive. That's counterintuitive. That's hard for us to wrap our minds and our hearts around. Do good to them that despitefully use you. Love your enemies. Let's go to him in a word of prayer before we continue on this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for this day. We thank you, Father, for your great grace. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, for your many blessings that you poured out upon us even this very day. Father, we're so thankful for each one who's able to make it this way this morning, spend this time together in your house to worship you. We pray that you'd help us, Father, to do so in spirit and in truth with all joy and peace, knowing your presence with us. Father, help us that we might lift up the name of Christ Jesus as we look to your word today. Father, we're so thankful for what you've accomplished in our lives. We're so thankful, Father, for the salvation that you've brought to us by Christ Jesus our Lord. We're so thankful for the promise of eternity in your presence and what that means for us, Father, that you've accomplished in the salvation of our souls to rid us, Father, of our sin and our, our failures before you, but that we've been made clean before you in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for this. Go with us now as we look to your word. Give us understanding of these things, Father, as we seek your direction and guidance for our lives. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Love your enemies. Do good to them that despitefully use you, he says. Even, he says, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Even those that persecute, he said, Pray for them. Do good to them. That's the contrast. The counterintuitive. Notice verse 38. Just right above it there. As he speaks to this. Verse 38 and verse 39. He says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That was in the law. That's, that's part of what the law declares. It is the judicial working of the law that the nation, how the nation would perform these issues of justice. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. 
In other words, there would be there would be equal punishment under the law for the crime that was committed. There would be just reward for the particular crime that was committed. And Jesus goes on to say, verse 39, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth is for the nation to take care of. That was how that was that was their direction in making sure justice was dealt out. That was not for us to enforce as individuals. But there were those in that day, and quite frankly, there are those in our day. If somebody does something wrong to us, I'm going to get them back. I'll teach them a lesson. They won't do that again. I'll set this straight. But here our Lord tells us differently in verse number 40, or verse 39, and goes on down verse 40 and 41 as well. He says, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil. Now the Lord's telling us that we, He's not telling us here we can't defend ourselves. We have every right to defend ourselves. He gives that to us in the Scripture. We have, we have a right to defend ourselves and defend our family. That's not what He's talking about here. But He's talking about those that come against us, particularly because of our following after Him, because of our stand with Him, because of who we have declared Him to be and our following after Him, that we're not, when they come against us with evil, that we're not to return that evil to them again. But rather, He says, Whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. He goes further there in verse number 40. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. The Lord tells us here what He is declaring to us in this counterintuitive is that we are to give up our right for revenge. We are to give up our right for revenge. That we let the light of Christ Jesus shine through us so that even our enemies see that light of Christ in us. The concept of loving our enemies and doing good for them is contrary to our nature. But the Lord has called us to do good in this sinful world. How how are you shining the light of Christ to those around you? Go back to Romans 12. We looked at this passage a few weeks ago as we were discussing this issue of forgiveness. And Paul really addresses this hard part of forgiveness and it goes exactly along with what our Lord is saying here in Matthew chapter 5. When When He's speaking to this very issue of us giving up our right of revenge. He says verse 17, Romans 12 verse 17. He says, Recompense to no man evil for evil, 
provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay, I should say, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heat coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Do good. Forgive. Give the wrongs and the hurts to the Lord. And let Him handle them. Let Him work what He's going to work. Trust Him in handling the situation, and we shine forth His light in the process. Trust Him. Trust Him that His Word will not return unto Him void. Do what He says to do. Do what He says to do. Let Him handle the vengeance. Let Him do the judging. Let Him handle the wrath. We are to do good to them. To overcome evil with good. Now this is with our enemies, He says. This is with those that are against us. This is with those that hate us. That's how we're to deal with them. Are we to love our brethren any less? If He's telling us to do good to our enemies, how much more are we to do good to our brethren? Those that believe as we believe in Christ, how much more so are we to shine forth that love of Christ to them? You see, with God's people, we have, with fellow believers, we have relationships. We have, we have, we have commonalities. We have, we have, uh, 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 things that we are associated with together, beliefs together in, that we rejoice in together and worship together and, 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 and enjoy together because of who we are in Christ. There is that fellowship that's there because of those realities of, of us being put together in this church, of, of fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there's those commonalities that we have, and those things are given to us to draw us together. But we mess up. And we hurt one another. We say the wrong things. And we look at each other crossways. Sometimes the preacher won't shake your hand. I mean, it's just, there's all the things that come along in our lives. All the problems, all the struggles that we bring in on each other and hurt one another. Matthew chapter 18. The Lord gives us direction here concerning that. That when we hurt one another, when we've, when we've messed up, 
we've done something bad, something evil to each other, the Lord tells us specifically how we are to take care of that problem. He gives us specific, specific directions of repairing that relationship and what our responsibility is in it. Matthew 18, verse number 15, down through verse number 20. Now, He's given us this. Why? <laughs> because He's talking to sinners. He knows we're going to mess up. He knows we're going to hurt one another. He knows we're going to say the wrong things. He knows we're, we're going to, to, to be mean on occasion one to another. That we're going to fail one another. That we're going to hurt one another. And so he gives us direction here. Hey, when those things happen, take care of it like this. This is the direction he's given us. Verse 15. He says, Moreover, if thy brother brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So if you've been hurt, he says... Then you go to that one that hurts you and say, hey, you know what, that thing you did, that thing you said, that way you treated me, that really hurt me. That, that, that bothered me. That hurt my feelings. That, that, that bothered so I can't believe that you would do something like that to me. And, and bring that to them. And he says, if he hears you, then there's going to be a reconciliation that takes place there between you. And you've gained your brother. There's nothing then that, that's harming that situation. There's nothing there then between you that's harming that relationship. It's taken care of, you see. But he says, if he doesn't hear you, if he just says, ah, oh, you're stupid. I didn't, I ain't my fault you, you felt that way. You just get on. Then he says, he gives us a recourse. Go and get witnesses, two or three witnesses, and come and bring that to him Again, that every word may be established, he says there in verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And so the recourse there is, is if, if he doesn't hear you, and take with you two or three witnesses, that every word may be established, that, every, that every, those two or three witnesses can be a witness before the church. Yes, that's what he told him, and yes, this is his reaction to it. And he spurns you again and says, just get out, get out of here, I don't want to talk to you. you, ain't got no, you just, I, I didn't do that to you, you're just being too sensitive, or whatever the case may be. And he leaves again and says, then bring it to the church. And if he will not hear the church on the matter, if he will not hear the church on the then it says, then you will disfellowship him. You will remove him from the church. You will not, you will not treat him any longer as a brother. Now that doesn't mean we shun them. That's not what he's telling us. There's a lot of people take that to mean, all right, we don't, we don't have anything to do with that fellow anymore. We shun him. We just, we just pretend like he doesn't exist. No, he says you treat him as a heathen man in the public. In other words, you treat him as a lost person. And every opportunity that you have, you bring him the gospel of Christ. Because he's proven himself that he doesn't love the brethren if he's not willing to try to reconcile 
in a, in a simple matter of a hurt between one another. If he's not willing to reconcile, if he's not willing to make that difference there, if he's not willing to step up to try to reconcile that situation, then, then he is to be treated as a lost person. Because that's what he's proving himself to be in that sense. And so this is the direction the Lord's given us on how, on how we are to handle those hurts. That's how we are to handle those particular situations between God's people. If you've been hurt by another, tell them. That's what he says. So healing and forgiveness can take place. And we can be on the same team again. Verse 21, verse 22. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Peter says, all right, all right, I get it. We're supposed to forgive one another. But what if that dummy keeps doing it? How many times do I go on? Seven? Sound like a good number, it's a perfect number. Hey, that's a good place to stop. Seven. We'll go seven. How many of us even go seven? Really? How many of us even go that far? Right? What's Jesus' answer to? Verse 22, I say unto thee until seven times, or not unto unto thee, let me say again, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Not on people. Not seven times. You just go on and multiply that. Now, that comes out to 490 times. Does Jesus mean you count to 490 and then that's the final? No, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. No, he's not telling us to start counting to get 490. What he's telling us there, you keep forgiving. You keep forgiving. That doesn't mean you don't address it. And he's doing the same thing again that he's done before, that's what Matthew 18 is talking about here. We take it to him. Hey, wait a minute. You know that thing we talked about last week? Guess what? You did it again. (laughs) You did it again. That doesn't mean we just let it go. It doesn't mean we just say, well, I've already told him I'd forgive him. I'll I'll forgive him this time too. That's That's not what it's about. We still are to, we still are to take care of the issues when they arise, but we're also still to forgive. Seventy times seven. We continually, we continually offer up that forgiveness, recognizing, recognizing that I'm a sinner too. And I hurt too, and I fail too, and I come short too. Now, the Lord's given us this direction because we are sinners, because we are going to hurt one another, because we are going to say the wrong things, because we are going to go the wrong direction in these things sometimes, get lifted up in our own pride so that we don't reconcile like we should. 
And it's not right that we hurt one another. We should not hurt each other. We should not say the wrong things. We should not be mean. But when one comes and says, hey, you hurt me. You hurt me. Hear it. Receive it. Listen to what they feel you've done and simply apologize. Simply say, I'm sorry I was wrong. I'm sorry I hurt you. It was not your intent. It may not have been anywhere on your radar. But for whatever reason it hurt them. The most important thing is not to get lifted up in self and say, well, you just going to get over it. The important thing is the reconciliation. The important thing is making it right. And so in those situations, the Lord said, I'm sorry, I hurt you. Forgive me. And have that reconciliation take place. Now, if you've been hurt, you have the obligation, according to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through verse number 20, if you've been hurt, you have the obligation to go and make it right. By going to the one that hurts you and say, hey, you hurt me. You have that obligation. You're not to hold on to it. As we were studying through that, that uh, uh, study concerning forgiveness, what happens is when we hold on to it, bitterness grows. And Paul calls it a root of bitterness that comes in us. And so we, we have the obligation so that that bitterness does not come. We have the obligation to go and say, hey, you hurt me. Now, maybe you know you hurt somebody else. Maybe you're the one that hurt, did the hurting. You have an obligation to go and say, hey, I I, I said the wrong thing and I I may have hurt you. I I want you to forgive me if I've said the wrong, done the wrong thing. Would you forgive me? The the obligation is on both sides. If, If you've been hurt, you have an obligation to go. If you know you're the one that did the hurting, you have an obligation to go. So that there's not bitterness that arises so that reconciliation can be done. This is why God has given this to us. This is why the Lord has given this reality to us in the repair of these things. So that these, this forgiveness can be had between us as the children of God. Now notice he goes on. The Lord gives some direction here in Matthew 18. And, and he describes this situation. This is the reason I said I didn't know if I was going to get to the last one or not. We may have to wait on this one, uh, on the last one. But notice with me, verse, beginning in verse 23, the Lord gives this account here of this debtor servant to the king. And you all know the story, I know. He says, therefore, uh, is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now there's all sorts of, of measurements that people have tried to figure up using different measurement scales. And the, the, it's just, it is a massive fortune. We'll just put it like that. 
I've seen the one that, that one that tried to tally it so close he got up into the, the $9 million range is what this guy owed. And that's not accounting for inflation in our day, so it's no telling what it would be. So, I mean, this, this, is, this is a fortune, that a, a millionaire's fortune that he owed the king here. Okay? There's no way he can pay it back. No way he can pay this back. And it says, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Not the payment. He forgave him the debt. So this great weight, this great bundle of wealth that he owed the king, the king says, I forgive you. I forgive you. Didn't take anything from him. Just lifted the burden. It says then, verse, verse uh, 28 rather, it says, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. A hundred pennies. Now we can whip that out of our pocket probably. Give him a dollar bill, and that would have been done, right? But this is a little different in this day. A penny, a pence here is representative of a day's wages. So this, this servant here, or, or this fellow servant, I should say, he's one of his equals, he owed him a hundred days worth of wages. Which that's a lot of money. Still a lot of money, right? But it's payable. It's not like the insurmountable amount that he himself owed the king. This was just a hundred days wages. And he found this fellow that owed him this hundred days wages. And he said, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was raw and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother. Their trespasses. So there's the comparison there. This fellow was forgiven an enormous debt that could not be paid. There's no way he could pay that back. And he was forgiven every bit of it. That debt was erased. He was forgiven every bit of that debt. But as soon as he got loose from that, as soon as he's free from that debt, what does he go and do? He finds a servant that owes him a hundred days 
worth of wages, a hundred pennies. And he has him cast in prison because he couldn't pay him that hundred pennies. And the Lord uses this as an illustration to us. What's he teaching us here? He's telling us here the hurts, the debts that we owe one to another, the hurts that we do to each other. As bad as they may hurt us, as bad as they may feel, as bad as it makes us feel in the process of it, they are nothing, those hurts are nothing compared to what our Lord has forgiven us of. I mean, it don't even rate on even, even a scale. You can't even put it together side by side. And if our Lord is able to forgive us all of our iniquities, all of our sins, all, all of our failures, all of our trespasses against Him and against His holiness and against His righteousness, if He is able to forgive you of all of those things, why then can't you forgive your brother of this offense or that offense? Maybe a hundred offenses. But why can't you forgive them those offenses if the Lord has forgiven you that much? And this is what he says there. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. He has forgiven us an astronomical debt. We can forgive one another. We can forgive one another. And we can accept when we've hurt one another and ask for that forgiveness. If it has been forgiven you, if it has been forgiven you by Christ, it will never be brought as a charge against you again. Never be brought as a charge against you again. He, the Bible tells us He's cast our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. It never meets. No matter how far east you go, you keep going east. No matter how far west you go, you're still going west. They never meet. That's the benefit of living on a ball. Right? You're never going to get east. Or if you're going the other direction, you're never going to get west. It's going to keep that same direction. He's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. It'll never be brought up against us again. And that's what forgiveness is. Doesn't mean necessarily it's forgotten because we're human and our brains remember stuff. We're not going to forget it. But it does mean that I'm never going to bring this up against them again. If I've forgiven them, it's done. I've given it to the Lord. I'm going to let Him deal with it. I'm never going to bring it as a charge against them. That's what forgiveness is. That our Lord is calling us to. 
And so if it's forgiven you, it's never going to be brought up again. And so likewise, as we forgive, we're never to bring it up and charge again the same crime, the same hurt. We're going to do it again, probably. Yeah, we're going, we're going to hurt one another. We're going to, and it's not right that we do that, but that's just, we're sinners and we're going to do that. We're not always going to say the right thing. We're not always going to have the right attitude. We're not always going to look the right way. We're not always going, we're, we're going to mess up because that's who we are. But we should strive not to. We should strive not to hurt one another. We should strive to, to be what Christ Jesus has called us to be. But when we fail, we are to be forgiven one to another. And we are to be receptive, not proud, but receptive of the hurt that we've done. And ask for that forgiveness so that we will repair those those hurts that we will repair, reconcile those relationships between us, that those things will not be that root of bitterness that will hurt us any longer. But those things be put aside. Those things be put out, given to the Lord. That's not how, that's not how our brains want to work. That's not how our spirits and is in the, that sinful nature, that's not how it wants to do things. It wants to hang on to them. It wants to remember them. It wants to be able, when the time comes, I'm hanging on to this because when time I'm going to use it. I'm going to get my way. I'm going to get what I think. I'm going to tell them then I'll wait till I'll wait. And we keep piling it up and piling it up and piling it up. That's not of Christ. That's not of Him. We're to forgive one another. And if we've been hurt, we're to come. Hey, you hurt me. If we know we've hurt, we come. Would you please forgive me? That there be nothing between us, just as there will be nothing between us and our Lord. Look what He's forgiven you of. Look what He's forgiven. And still, Doing it every single day. Every single day. Why can we not do the same? Why should that not be first in our hearts? The Lord says, trust me. Trust me. My word will not return unto me void. Trust him. Give Him, give Him those hurts. Give Him those pains. Forgive, forgive. And ask for forgiveness. That reconciliation might be done. We'll hold off on the other one. Or will it the next time. Let's all stand. Brother Gordon, would you bring us a song?